We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Seahawks Man to Man is presented by OfficialK9.com, the official store of Kenneth Walker III. His store combines the power of Web 2 and Web 3 to allow for fans to purchase new merch drops, digital collectibles, and enter exclusive giveaways. Make sure and peep OfficialK9.com to see all the newest merchandise from Kenneth Walker III and use code Seahawks for 10% off at checkout. Again, use code Seahawks on OfficialK9.com for 10% off Kenneth Walker III's official gear at checkout. Check out the podcast description for more details. Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You can follow me on the tweet machine at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. I am verified on there with a little blue check. Shout out to Elon Musk. He ain't charged me for it yet. Appreciate you, big dog. Uh, shout out to all our YouTube subscribers as well. Seahawks Man-to-Man is the name of the channel on YouTube. That is Seahawks Man, the number two man. We appreciate all the love and support all season long. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. I said all season long. That implies the season's over. I'm sorry. It is not. Shout out to the fighting Dan Campbells uh, and the fighting Pete Carrolls uh, leading their respective teams to victory on Sunday. Just a wild day of football, it felt like. Seahawks win 19-16 in overtime. In their regular season finale against the Rams, and they need to go home. They they go home or they go watch the Lions game. Nervous as hell. The fighting Dan Campbell's um, and his cast of a bunch of black assistant coaches, by the way, uh, go down to Lambeau and win for the first time. I don't know how long um, down there in Green Bay. The go to nine and eight. Both teams end up nine and eight, but the Seahawks end up getting the tiebreaker over the Lions head to head because they beat them in Week Four. Who knew that would be such a big win? Uh, so now the Seahawks, Chris, are in the postseason. They're nine and eight, a winning record of one year after just after losing Russ, losing Bobby. The Seahawks find a way to get a winning record. And they have a top five pick, courtesy of Russ and the Broncos. Hmm. Just the, just the, uh, tons of reasons why Pete Carroll was just elated 
um, after the, the Lions win, he did. He didn't do a, a media availability with us, uh, the local media. He just did like a, a local. What is King Five? The NBA, NBC. He did a local NBC affiliate uh, hit on the fifth quarter or whatever. Um, shout to, to to Pete and his his people too. But we got one more week in us, Chris. We wasn't sure, and here we go. We 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 here, man. A very stressful day is of. I feel like watching two Seahawks games. You got the overtime, uh, overtime in Seattle. Go to Lambeau, and it comes down to a fourth down conversion with under two minutes left. Man, just 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 a wild day. Yeah, wild day indeed. I was one game off my prediction. I said the Celtics would finish eight and nine, and boy, did they finish nine and eight. So kudos to them. They believe throughout the whole season, regardless of how things have looked. As the season progressed, they were able to gut it out. The Rams weren't going to just allow them to win the game, as you saw on the first play of the game. Jalen Ramsey, with an incredible play, jumps it. Almost got a pick six, but fortunately, the Sharks were able to get him out of bounds. And it was a rocky start, but they finished strong. Although there are things that we'll talk about as with Twitter questions. A lot of people are curious, well, shoot, how do they beat the Niners? We might have some answers for you in that regard. Can they get it done and all that? But... One step at a time. They did handle business at home at Lumen, and they have a chance now in the wild card against a hot Niners team. And if they can get that, who knows what's next? So this team is – they're in the dance, as they all call it. They have an op- they have a chance. That's all you want at the end of the day is a chance, and they proved it. And you got to give credit to the Lions because – or Mike, as Michael called them, the fighting Dan Campbells. Fighting Dan Campbells, baby. The with the black high. coaching staff, they – they weren't going to give up. They they knew what it was. Seahawks won ultimately, so that eliminates them from an opportunity to get into the postseason. But they wanted to dampen the party for the Packers, and they were able to do so. Great defensive game plan. Offense, they played, they played okay. They got what they need to do done. And ultimately, they came up with a W, and that catapulted the Seahawks into the scenario they, they, were, they are in. And what a game by both teams. So... Here we are, man, talking about what's next for the Seahawks team. And they have a, a huge mountain to climb, but you ask anybody in that locker room, Mike, I'm sure they all think they can definitely get it done, especially with how they won on Sunday against the Rams, albeit Gino didn't have his best game. I thought the defense really stepped up when they needed to. Daryl Taylor, he showed flashes of why. He can be so good. It's unfortunate that it's so late in the season, but hopefully he can continue that because the Seahawks would definitely need that from him moving forward, especially if they want to knock off the Niners. But what a what a day. <laughs> what a day. The season will continue. We're going to keep giving you guys a show, and here we are. Yeah, so people people sometimes ask us about the behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't think I asked a little bit about it last week. I want to uh, kind of talk about yet a little bit about just what – the post game was like because it was a very weird post game. You know, usually what they do in week 18, they leave all the scheduling open so they can flex things accordingly so that everyone has something to play for, you know, relative to where they are in their, their season. And obviously, as Seahawks fans know, they scheduled the Lions game in a situation where the Lions could need to win to help the Seahawks after the Seahawks eliminate the Lions. Like it's a less than ideal situation. So it's set up like a very weird post game scenario where we're going to talk to the guys. They won, they finished nine and eight. But they have no idea whether they're going to show up tomorrow for film or show up tomorrow to clean their lockers out, which is a very weird thing. Like some guys were like, I ain't watching that game. I'm going to go spend time with my lady, my kids, whoever it is. And just 
I'll, I'll get the text from somebody. Somebody's going to tell me. There are a few guys like that. Uh, Quentin Jefferson was like that, for example. Um, some guys were like, I'm I'm going home now. I'm locked in. I'm watching the Lions. I have to have to see every play. There are a few few guys like that. Um, so very, very interesting scenario because we're kind of asking guys like, it's almost like one of them books where you get to choose your own adventure. We're like, all right, question. If this is the end of the season, how do you feel? If... If the season continues, how do you feel? It's very, very weird situation. And then so all of us uh, media people, we all kind of stayed up in the press box after we come back from the locker room. By then, it's about the second quarter of the game. Uh, I, I caught like the last few minutes of the first quarter and then the rest of the Lions game. We got all of us in there. Can none of us write shit? <laughs> We're just sitting there, sitting there watching the game on TV like a big happy family. Uh, and you could just you could feel how much was on the line between the Seahawks Twitter account between like, there was a marketing a Seahawks marketing staff party in the back of the press box, like back, back, back across the hallway. But they were, they were having a party. So they had food, they had drinks back there. They were so loud. Like every play we could tell something crazy was happening because of them. Even if we weren't watching the game, that flea flicker that got called back, the pick that got called back, the missed field goal the Lions had. It was just, you could just feel the emotions of that. Everything riding on another team. Is that thousands of miles away? Yeah, it's got to be. However far, very far away. However far Wisconsin is from Washington. Probably thousands of miles. Anyway, please look that up for me so I don't sound crazy. It's, uh, it's thousands because Pullman's 400 or couple, yeah, 200 yeah, yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, it's definitely thousands. Yeah, thousands of miles away. Thank you. Um, like even even – I won't just say his name, but like one of the interns for the Seahawks, uh, like a communications person, he is on like a – they're all on like one-year internships. So he's sitting there on pins and needles like he's like nervous as shit. And, and he says it like late in the game. He's like, my internship is over if the Packers win. Mm. And he kind of puts in perspective. Like, oh, damn. There's a lot. Just mo little movement pieces all just riding on this. It was it was kind of fascinating, you know. So that was a little, a little behind the scenes of what it was like. The players kind of was like, oh, yeah, it's a little weird. You know, it just now we won. We got to go home and root for another team. You know, Michael Jackson of the, uh, of the Seahawks. Uh, he told me, he's like, man, I hate the Lions. He's like, what? He's like, oh. He's like, they cut me. He's like, oh, damn, I, I didn't know that. I know he got drafted by the Cowboys. The Lions traded him to the Patriots, um, I think, before the 2020 season. Uh, you know, so it was a bunch of guys. Like, Quandre's like, oh, you know, I'm cool with the Lions. You know, Austin Blythe was like, I ain't never rooted for another NFL team my whole career. Now I'm a big Lions fan. Gabe Jackson was like, man, I hope that game's 100 to nothing. You know, it was – and then uh, some guys, like I said, like Q, like, I ain't watching that game. I'm going home. <laughs> I feel that. We'll find out one way or another whether <laughs> whether we about to play or we, we go home. So it was it was kind of fascinating. It's just we had never been through it before, you know. Even Shelby Harris was like, "I've never had to root for another team on week 18, and I've never had a winning record." So yeah, that was what's your first for a guy like Shelby? It was it was just an interesting uh, post game scene, you know. So uh, it was it was it was a special time. And before we get more Seahawks stuff, Chris, we got to shout out Dan Campbell, man. Yeah, not, once again, the innovation because they obviously did some innovative stuff in there, particularly the the screen hook and ladder play. But for a team like that to have nothing to play for and play like they had everything to play for, that is them embodying the energy of their coach, and that's yeah. that's how you can tell whether you should keep a coach. You know, even when even if the record is not like where you want to be, it's how they how they finish. You know, seasons even last year. I thought it was very important how the Seahawks finished. They kicked ass in their final couple games with not a damn thing to play for, but pride. Um, same thing with the Lions on national TV. You know, like you could just 
I respect Coach. Even Lovey Smith, who's, who's been fired by the time we even recorded this, his Houston team went out there and fought on the road in Week 18, and they won. And it's going to cost them a shot at, like, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. But for Lovey, he, he he wins a lot of cool points in, across the league for getting his guys to fight in Week 18 after a hard-ass year. So shout-out to the fighting Dan Campbells because that, that's a sign of progress there. If they'd have rolled over and died in Green Bay because they had nothing to play for, then you might have to get Dan up out of there. But, nah, you keep hearing all his black-ass coaches because <laughs> they fighting over there, man. It looked cold as shit there, too. And they was, they was fighting out there, man. We, Dan kept our – Kept our season alive too. Yeah, he kept us working, man. And to your credit, to your point about this team not giving up, especially knowing that their season's over once the Seahawks won. Yeah. Or maybe to be honest, they probably didn't even know. There's a possibility that he they had to know. They knew. They knew. What if Campbell was like, "Hey, turn off all your phones. I don't want to hear nothing about the Seahawks game. We know what time our game is. Let's play like we have a chance." Because he could have did that. I'm not saying I did. I, you're right. I don't know if he did that or not. And that, that, that right there sends a message is like, we have a game to play. Yeah. We don't care about the outcome of anybody else. Sure, we can go back and say we wish we'd have done A, B, and C, which Pete alluded to in the presser tonight. If we had done some things differently, we wouldn't even be in the situation. So we got root for the Lions. It is what it is. We're here now. Yep. Dan Campbell, his vibe just seems like, I'm, I'm not saying this is what they did, but his vibe is, you guys got a game tonight? I don't care what the Seahawks have to do. We know what we must do. If we win, we are in. That's the mindset. Once you find out the results later, you know what? We busted our ass. To be honest, if you look at the post game and how the the Lions reacted, it's as if they didn't even know that they were eliminated. Right. They played it. They won it. And they acted like they still had another week, which is credit to Campbell, the staff, and what they're all about because they all bought in. They all believed, and that's pretty much the same with Pete. Like, every, yeah. everyone was down and out about how this season's going to go and whatnot, and can they – hell, even us, me and you had our doubts and whatnot, just watching training camp. Yeah. And for it to come to fruition, and they're in the dance, they have a chance, that's all that they want is, a, is an opportunity. The players got to go out there and seize the moment and make it the best. After that, you got to live with their results. But for right now, they're – their game planning to go to San Francisco and come out victorious. Just like the Lions game plan, no matter what the outcome was in the Seahawks game versus the Rams, they wanted to beat Aaron Rodgers. There was a lot at stake going into that game. The Lions were 3-27. and You think they want to just lay down and be 3-28? and Of course not. Regardless of what happens if they lose that, if they the Seahawks were to win their game against the Rams. It doesn't matter. They know we got to beat Aaron Rodgers at some point, and it's going to be this year. This is it. So that was huge, and it's just crazy. Just crazy how everything worked out for the Seahawks. They got a lot of love on Sunday from a rough in the passer, which they didn't get a touchdown on. They got three points. They, well, what also kept them in the game? The Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, Seahawks ran good. The Jalen Ramsey standing there, and Geno just running into him. Unsportsmanlike. That could have just been a no call. I get it why they called it, but – what is Jalen supposed to do? <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 a no call. It's it's a no call if that's not a quarterback. I think. I think the fact that it was a quarterback influences the referees are just kind of just they understand who the money makers are. You know, they understand to protect the quarterbacks, even if the, he's a runner at that point. You know, the um, what else happened? The uh, the, the roughing the kicker. Yeah, that's uh, what I meant. Yep. 
Was yeah. that? I don't know if that. Well, I didn't. Actually, it was running into the kicker. I said that wrong. He ran into him, but he was off. It is what it is. The Seahawks didn't seize every opportunity. They should have scored that touchdown when they got gifted an automatic first down. You got to put up seven and get this. Just put them away. But they weren't able to do that, and then they had to rely on a field goal on that drive. It is what it is. You know what? The biggest thing is, Mike. They're in the playoffs. Yeah, I think. I think. One last thing on this: the Seahawks themselves and how they did win the game. I do think it's it's not the prettiest thing in the world, and that's got some issues to it, some issues that will probably have a very high chance of coming to bite them in the playoff game. But the fact that they've fixed a couple areas that were ailing them uh, in the last couple of weeks, they're running the ball a lot better. Ken went over, Ken Walker went over 100 yards for the third straight game. I think he's over 1,000 for the season. Um, he's, I think he leads the, the league in rushing yards uh, over the last three weeks, uh, I want to say. Uh, so, like, he's – he found his groove when the running game was just ass for like a good stretch there. And they'll tell you that the film says it, the stats and everything says it. Um, that's not even an opinion. Uh, and then their defense wasn't good for weeks, for like a month. It wasn't very good. And now their defense is, is, is turned it around. You know, um, they've, they've, they've been really, they've been really good in spite of the offense in a lot of stretches. You look at the Kansas city game. They had a lot, they had a lot of stretches. The chiefs, I think had their season high in three and outs. Uh, and the and the offense wasn't doing anything for the Seahawks, and the defense just kept grinding. Same thing with that Niners game, honestly, week 15 for a lot of it. The offense just did nothing, and the Seahawks just kept it, kept it. Two-score game, two-score game, 21-6 to six for a long time. Same thing with the Jets. The offense didn't do much um, in that game, and they, they ended up getting it done, but the Seahawks just held them down, held them down. And then today, uh, the, the offense settled for field goals three times in the red zone, one time on the goal line. I think the goal line drivers after the punt that they mentioned, where they got gifted a first down, held them down. That final uh, final driver regulation uh, that the Rams had held them down. Rams get the ball in overtime, but with any score wins the game. Interception, five sacks on Baker, four sacks on Zach Wilson. Turnovers. I think they have three interceptions over the last two weeks without allowing a passing touchdown. Like. They're, they're it's coming together. Those two things they have they've created other issues because now Jason Myers I think has missed in back to back weeks as well. Um, that's a problem. But in the you know in the passing offense just falling off a cliff somehow. Um, so you got that as an issue. So they're not perfect. That's what happened when you're nine and eight. But the fact I do like that they fixed a couple things that were re- their defense had just fallen from the four game win streak to the five losing five out of six. They just had just, just fallen statistically and on film. Same thing with their run game. They were cooking and then just fell hard. Um, and then they fixed both of those things. Um, I think that that's a really encouraging sign because they needed to do the, both of those things really well to beat the Rams. They needed to run on them because I knew throwing would be hard. They needed to stop the they needed to uh to stop the run and get after Baker. Um and they did. They did a good yeah. Cam, Cam Baker still went for like a hundred. Um he had a he had a good day. But uh yeah, Cam Cam went for 104 on 21 carries. Cam had a good day. But in general, I think they just they they earned the right to rush the passer, and it led to getting the Baker five times. So credit to them because that's on the coaching staff and the players too. I asked the guys on defense, in particular, what what changed? What would you guys fix? They didn't say no. He was, I think it was Michael Jackson who told me, man, it wasn't even no X's and O's at this point. Like we just need effort, you need effort, and everybody be connected. That's it. It ain't but so many plays and shit. Now I'm paraphrasing, but like that that was that was his sentiment. It was like effort. Effort. Same thing with DJ Dells on the offense. Effort. That's it. Just we need effort and togetherness, and we'll get it done. So that was think that was the key. And 
Boy, they better be have that effort and be together on Saturday. Yeah, they're gonna have to be, man. They're going up against a juggernaut, man, without their quarterback and Jimmy G, mm-hmm. a guy that they are a guy that they are comfortable with, and they're still getting no purdy, even though he's playing well. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a lot to ask, but so far he's he's doing his job. <laughs> you can't complain. Right? What's up? Purdy's undefeated. Uh yeah, they won eleven straight. So yeah. Eleven straight? Ten or eleven. I think it's ten. How about that? That's a lot of wins in a row. <laughs> that's nuts. Someone said it to me in the press box. I said they won how many? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, man. And you know what they're gonna do? Punch you right in the mouth, or at least attempt to. So see, I just gotta be ready for that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten in a row. Crazy. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. That's crazy. All right. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, you know what, Mike? You ready to get to these questions, man, before we get out of this here? You ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it, man. We got quite a few, so for once... Not for once. Once and again, we want to thank everyone out there for taking the time to ask us Twitter questions. The best part is season ain't over. So I know a lot of them are regarding what's next, and that's the 49ers. So what Mike and I are going to do here is we're going to combine pretty much all your questions about the Niners in this first question, and then we're going to go from there. So for the Niners matchup, Mike, do they have a chance? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think they got a chance. Do they have a chance? Okay. I think, they, I think they have a chance. I don't necessarily subscribe to the it's tough to beat a team three times just because the sample size is kind of small. Like, how often does a team play a team three times, you know? And what are the circumstances under those three those three situations? So, you know, where are the three games at? So, it, it, I don't subscribe to that. You, you can beat a, three time, three, a team three times if you're just better than them. You know, um, which the Niners which, are, which the Niners are objectively, you know, um, they played significantly better in both wins. Not, they weren't fluky. The first win was the first win. Some aspects of it were fluky, but the, the fact that the Niners won is not, if that makes sense. Like they won by 24 reason, and it wasn't a fluky reason. Uh, same thing with the 21 to 13 win in week 15. That it, that game wasn't as close as the score would have indicated. You know, so the Niners are an objectively, you know, better team. They have a better point differential, better record. Um, they've been better in the trenches more consistently. They have one of the best defensive players in the league in Nick Bosa. So, like, but that said, I think the Lions game showed 
and a lot of Seahawks games have showed. Um, maybe, maybe perhaps more instructive are some Giants games and some Vikings games this year. Is that to win a one-score game? It does not always win mean you are the better team. Sometimes some fluky shit happens. As you uh, saw Sunday, it's the Rams. A, a punt gets muffed. A play gets called back for a flag. A flag gets missed. A challenge is won. A challenge is lost. Random third down variants drops like the margins on big catches like Tyler Tyler didn't make like a toe tap but the margin today on his touchdown is very small like that easily could have been broken up as some of Gino's passes today were broken up so um it's it's it again the margins are so small you know today Gino threw a ball and hit a defender in the hands guy drops you know like there's just so you know, and the Seahawks have had plays where ball hits a defender in the hands. Yeah, Quandre that's dropped, Yeah, dropped like three this year, <laughs> or something like that. You know, so it. My point with is they have a chance, and some of it is because they. I imagine they'll play a little bit better um, than they did the first two matchups for a few reasons. Some health stuff. You know, they had they didn't have Al Woods in the second matchup. Geno hadn't been kind of unlocked it by the time of the at the time of the first matchup. There's, there'd be a few different reasons, but maybe have Ryan Neal back. Uh, in, in the Thursday night matchup, or excuse me, in this one coming up. But I think the general thing is that they do have a chance, if for no other reason, because it is it is just hard to have everything bounce your way. And all you need is one or two things. Like I said, a, a missed field goal here, a muffed punt here, a shanked punt here, a fumble, a botch snap, a fourth down that doesn't go right. There's so many just random little events in a game that can give an underdog a shot. And I think, what are they, like a 10-point underdog or something yeah, like that? I haven't even looked. Let me double check. It's double digits, I, I heard, when I was leaving the press box tonight. So, uh, yeah, at, at this point, it's, I'm pretty sure it's double digits. So, Yeah, minus 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10-point dogs, that's nuts. So, But they do have a shot. I do think they have a shot largely because um, it just takes a couple swings your way to get to get it done you know um so i think i do think they have a shot the third downs have been rough i think i think against the niners um that could swing in their favor you never know yeah so the weather i think it's supposed to rain so i i do think they have a shot you know um it should i think it'll be much closer than the other two matchups i will say that this next one comes from brian malone seahawks and niners round three if you guys were the coach how would you guys game plan differently to bring home the upset win uh I'll, I'll go offense since i know you have a defensive strategy thing you'd like to mention on offense if i'm the seahawks and this speaks to what they have worked for them against the rams today as well i would go less uh under center when i'm trying to pass the ball if you guys notice sunday in particular it's been a little bit like this during the year not as much sunday in particular that was just not geno's thing the play action stuff off the off the off the under center which is not some of the boot stuff he was throwing it away that he had to throw it in the dirt, uh, take a, take a, took a sack or two. It's, it's just not there. Now, when he goes empty or pistol, like he was much more effective today. And I imagine if I was to crunch the numbers for the season, he would be probably one of the best quarterbacks out of the empty formations and probably pistol as well. Um, like the, he, he was so more, so much more effective. My theory on that would be that when teams are playing too high, which can have a lot of post-snapped rotation. So like the safeties are moving after the ball is snapped. Gino and most quarterbacks would rather not have their back to the to the 
defense, which is what you do when you play action. I don't understand you have to turn away from the defense. You're just blind for half a second there. Um, and then you have to then take a picture. You have to take a picture pre-snap, snap it, turn around, and then read it again post-snap and then make a decision. Um, I, again, that's a theory. Gino didn't tell me that or anything. But you just look look at his numbers today. Look at today, the, the, the drive in the third quarter. They go under center, run. Well, actually, first, you go under center, pick first play. Uh, and then third quarter, you got under center, doesn't work. It's like a, a little run to Ken, lose a yard. After that, Gino's like, fuck it. Empty, Colby. Empty, DK. You get a 15-yard run by Ken, in large part because he reversed course. It wasn't even really like it was hit hard originally. And then he has the play action to Tyler, which I think is like a, it's like a sweep action, not like a, a traditional uh, play action bomb. Uh, and in the, in the like the fourth quarter, I was tracking it because I told you guys I write like UC every time Gino's under center. I write pistol if he's under pistol or SG for shotgun. All I was writing in, in, in the fourth quarter was SG, SG. Shit, they were going shotgun on the goal line. <laughs> in the yeah. fourth quarter. Yeah, they're going shotgun. They went shotgun on third and one from the from the one with the season on the line. That was crazy. Um, my point is that that's what I would ditch for the Niners game. It just I just think Gino's for far more comfortable. I think he's comfortable when he can just look at the defense, read it, trust the protection. Um, empty also spreads out the defense. Um, usually just the linebacker in the middle. Um, Gino hits the middle of the field really well at an empty too. You can't just live in that because then you have no threat of the run. But I do think that that's, that is something I would do offensively to just help, to help him out because he is, he is key. They've scored 13 points in two games against the Niners. That's nasty bad. So, like, I think they need to be much, much better. And that's one way to do it. And if you are, you can run out of the shotgun, you can run out of pistol, and you can run out of under center too. But it, the boot game, the play action stuff, under center, it just looks like it's just not, not working. I think both his interceptions today were out of that type of action. So, yeah, you could just ditch ditch that for a wild card weekend, bring it back for the divisional round if you make it. Defensively, what I think the Seahawks should, what I would do if I was coaching, as I would make sure to put pressure on Brock Purdy. And that means sending Cody, sending maybe saw Kobe Bryant blitzing a lot on Sunday against the Rams. I like that. Put pressure on Brock. See how he handles being having seven guys coming after him as opposed to even numbers there or four on five, that is, excuse me. So that's what I would look to do. Get pressure on him. Zone blitzes, man blitzes. Mm-hmm. Just make it tough for him. Don't let him sit back there and have time to decide on what he wants to do. No. See, see if the Seahawks can make him make decisions. Can he read a blitz? Can he pick it up? Mm-hmm. Those type of things. Don't let him just sit back there because he's not Tom Brady. He's a. <laughs> this is his first time out there in the moment. Okay, we'll see if you're ready for it. And if you dot us up, that's an L on me. I that's that's my that's my bad. I didn't think he'd be able to take the pressure. He did. So that's what I would definitely look to do is try to make him uncomfortable, sending extra guys. And just making it a tough game, especially in third and long situations. If they're the Seahawks are stopping the run and making it tough for the Niners, making them pass, get them in those long passing third and six, third and seven, and bring the house. See if he can react and make a good play. Or we put ourselves in a position to get an interception, pass breakup, you name it. You have a number that you'd like, a blitz, a blitz rate? So the Seahawks, last time we checked, what was that? The 26% was it, Mike? Oh, you want to hear the updated number? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, give me that. Yeah, go ahead and give me the update number. I don't imagine it's changed much, but go ahead. Oh, it's changed. So for the season, 31% now. The Seahawks, Seahawks opponents have faced a blitz, 
which is defined as five or more rushers uh, on 15.2% oh. of their dropbacks. That is the lowest rate in the league. The Seahawks blitz less than anyone in the NFL. And the so for reference, the league average is about 25.8%. So they are well under the league average. They are trusting their guys to rush with four. And so where, where would you like to see that number? Like if we had to revisit this after the game, if they blitz 15% of the time, what would you like to see? It's got to be, you got to double that. I want to see 30%. 30, up in 30? At, at, at least. You can't, you can't really, I mean, obviously the way they're rushing the passer with their front four, sure, it's working, but they're not playing the Niners every week. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, a team that is well-balanced mm-hmm. with their O-line and running the football and passing. And you can't, I'm not saying you can't, but you shouldn't just rely on your four guys to make plays. Yeah, I think in this scenario, you got to see what this Brock kid is made of under pressure. Now, albeit I haven't watched every Rams game film-wise and seen what they've done, but... Niners, you mean? Excuse me, Niners game. Mm-hmm. But best believe, when we get the link for what they did Sunday, again, who they play? The... Cardinals. Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see what the Cardinals did. Did they blitz him? How, I'm going to definitely pay attention to that to see how we handle that because I think that'll be key in the wild card matchup on Saturday. Yeah, that's good. I, li- I like that too. You know, I'm always, for, I love blitzing. So <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got to Let sell. That clear. <laughs> you ain't got to sell me, baby. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Our next question comes from. Chris Hamilton, 206 underscore, underscore Chris. I know Trey Brown has been hurt, but why hasn't he got more playing time this season? Real, real quick to go to that last question, because you mentioned it, so I want to give you the number. Oh, yeah. But from what I am seeing, the Cardinals blitzed Brock Purdy on week 18 38% of the time. <laughs> that is and cool. It, and it, I don't know how much it affected him. I have to go. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have that in front of me as well. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's a crazy number, though. Uh, well, that's I don't blame them. Shoot, they what are they playing for? They just can we win the game? That's what they're trying to do. And thirty eight percent, I want the Seahawks at thirty, so that'd be double of their fifteen percent. I think thirty percent, and you can always gauge it if, at halftime if they're blitzing and Brock is just tearing them up. All right, I was wrong. Go back to your four man, stay in your zone, cover six, cover three. Try to see if you can make them uncomfortable. Obviously, the Niners are going to run the football a lot too. So you're going to have to, you know, bring another safety in the box. And hopefully Ryan Neal is available Saturday and that maybe changes things. But yeah, 38% and they got smoked. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Brock threw for three touchdowns. He was great against the Blitz. Oh, boy. Well, hey, you know what? The yeah, good yeah. news is the Seahawks are not the, the the Cardinals on the defensive end. So, you know what? That 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 changes things a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that does. Sorry. Which The next question was on Trey Brown. Yeah, he's been. I know he. I know Trey Brown has been hurt, but why hasn't he seen the field? Oh, easy, Michael Jackson. That's it. It's a two. It's a two-word answer. Michael Jackson. I, I showed. What was that week? Was that? I think that was against the Giants. I, I, my film review clips that week after the Giants were of Michael Jackson. He's playing well. He is playing well. I don't think Mike's given up a touchdown since week four. I I want to say he hasn't given up one against Josh Reynolds in the, in the Reynolds. insane. That, no, Mike. Mike is playing solid. Like he, he's good. He had a couple. He had a couple of big plays today. Um, I mean, he ain't Richard Sherman or nothing, but like he's he's holding it down, and that's why you know. There's no room for him. How about that, Mike? It is is loaded right I now. Would, I wouldn't say there's no room for him, 
as much as it's just one guy. He was up against one dude and dude beat him out. You know, that's sometimes it's football or any sport. It's just that simple. You know, Michael Jackson is the reason that he, they didn't they didn't Michael Jackson is tried and true, man. That boy, he didn't he didn't have to fight off Sidney Jones. Then he had to fight off Artie Artie Burns. Then he had to fight off Trey Brown and did it all without breaking the sweat. So I mean that you know, credit to Mike Jack. That is it ain't got nothing to do with Trey not being ready or anything. He put they put him in a competition with a guy, and the other guy held his own, man. It's, you know, Trey still has a shot next year, but it, that's a credit to Mike, man. Mike's Mike's holding it down, and then Tariq's obviously holding down the right side. So, where to help from? This next one comes from Steve Clark. Who's been the most underrated player for the Seahawks this season, and why? Ooh, man. Actually, I ignore that part. He he gave his player, so I, I miss I misspoke. So, who has been the most underrated player for the Seahawks this season? Man, that's 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 a good one. Um, man, there's so many options here. I want to say it's probably Mike. To be honest, in terms of just being underrated, I mean, the, the other choice would, for me would be either Mike or Quandre. I feel like Quandre's gotten a really bad rap, man. For like, he's missed he's missed a few tackles this year for sure. Um, yeah, he's missed a few tackles this year for sure. Like the Taysom one stands out. You know, he had the one against George Kittle in Week 15. Like that, you can't. Those are like not even. You don't need to be a film guy. He's he's missed some plays, but I think that like he's he's just as good as he was this year as he was last year. Like I legitimately think that. I think he's made he's made the same amount of plays. He's missed the same amount of plays. Like he's he's largely been a consistent player. Um, for the most part, it just feels a little different this year for whatever reason, you know, from the, from the fan base, we've gotten questions about where they should cut him. It's <laughs> insane. Like you see this dude, you see that play that he made. He's been doing that shit. He's no been- one else is making that play. If he's cut, <laughs> that's a touchdown. <laughs> that's a look here, man. End of season. <laughs> we've seen some Seahawks safeties in the post Earl era who is not making that play. Yeah. That's a touchdown. We don't got to name them. You guys know who you've been watching. You guys know what I traded for Quandre. Um, and I also think, and this is something I might write about this week. He has done a really good job, according to the guys who's been in the, in the trenches with him, keeping it together in that safety position. If you think, I didn't think about this till later this last week, Chris. They've played next to Quandre this year, started games. They've started Jamal Adams, Josh Jones, Ryan Neal, Tease Tabor, and Jonathan Abram all next to Quandre this year. All of them. Like, and for the most part, save for a few Josh Jones missed tackles, the safety spot hasn't been this like huge liability next to Quandre. And the reason, part of the reason for that, according to the guys in the in there, is his leadership, him holding guys accountable in many ways, as you guys can probably imagine, uh, he does that. Uh, but the consistency, like, there's been so much. I think that's an underrated part of that too. Bobby did a lot of that last year when the defense was struggling and the year before. And it just goes unnoticed. You just, it just feels like, oh, guys, just started playing better. Oh, they changed the scheme or some shit. Now, sometimes the leaders in the room just tell guys to get their shit together and they get their yeah. shit together, you know? And that, in the safety department, you know, in the defense, Quandre, he's kind of earned that C on his chest. Al Woods has too. You can, you, the guys say similar things about him up front. Um, but in the back end in particular, with all those rotating pieces, that's a lot of strong safeties they play. Chris, they're one more injury away from auditioning me and you but to play strong safety next to Quandre with all these goddamn injuries. And the, the the way, the reason that's not just been like a liability every week in part is because of the coaching staff and the guys they brought in, Jonathan Tease, all that. But it's also because of Nino, number six. 
Um, so that would probably be my vote for one of the more underrated guys this year. I'm going to go D-line, and I'll take Shelby Harris. His impact, man. He's I saw him out there on Sunday. I'm just like, damn. <laughs> he is a problem. And he's been a problem since week one when he made the comment. See what I mean? You trade your best players? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Shelby's a dog. He's a dog. They got some dogs up front. He's a dog. So I will go Shelby for sure. And then I'll, you know, you, you highlighted him on our review plays of the week last week. And that's Kobe Parkinson. He's a, he's, he's the guy that's definitely stepped up to the plate and might not give the credit he deserved. Although it hasn't been, I would say as consistent just because obviously Will Disley was starting. So the times he didn't, he was out there, maybe his impact wasn't as much, but he's definitely in that conversation for me, at least in that regard as well. Yeah. He's been, he's been, he's been really good, particularly the last couple of weeks. Exactly. Let's see. This next one comes from Vince Master at V underscore Mastin. Any idea why Gino looks so upset for half the game? Even when the team was getting it done, he just doesn't look happy. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't always see the TV copy of the game by the time we record. You know, you guys are watching on TV. I'm there. They have the TVs on the screen, but it, the TV is like two plays behind which is why I'd be tweeting ahead of you guys. I'm sorry. Um, I, I will say this. I, I don't know specifically what emotions he was shown on TV, but I do know that Gino said after the game that that was probably one of his worst games. Um, and he knows he was, he made decisions and he put the ball in harm's way. That's the main, that's the main thing you don't want to do. I remember I had a conversation with Sean Mannion, the practice squad quarterback. It's been around a little bit. Um, this was weeks ago, maybe like a month or two ago. And we're just, I was talking about, like, what do you need to be good at to be a good quarterback in the NFL? Just, just generally. And then I was talking about what do you need to be good at to be a good quarterback in Shane Waldron's offense in particular? Because, you know, Sean's played it in a couple spots now, um, a couple different franchises. And he just, it, one of the things he kept coming back to was just, like, being decisive and not putting the ball in harm's way. And, and I know because Sean feels that way, I'm sure that that's preached throughout the quarterback room. So I'm sure Gino abides by that as well. And it just, it, it just wasn't the case these last couple. He's putting the ball in harm's way um, consistently over the last month or so. You know, whether the DB drops it or it gets broken up or whatever. Just it, Sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes it's not. But a lot, there's been a lot of them that have clearly ha- have been. Um, and that's got to be frustrating, especially with. The game on the line. These guys knew what it was. They knew what time it was. They knew the, they knew the, the Lions game wouldn't matter if they didn't win. You know, so they, they, they knew it. There's a lot of pressure that goes with that. So I don't know if he's felt the pressure per se, but like that has to be frustrating to not perform how you expect. You know, he's very hard himself. He's a very hard critic. Um, so like that, that, that would, knowing what I know about Gino, he's probably really hard on himself, man, because he expects himself to go out there and be excellent. Um, and today was not excellent. It was enough to get it done, but it was not excellent um, by any stretch. So I would imagine that that is why, man. He wants to he wants to play better than what he did today, even though he helped them win. But they uh, they got to send a bottle of champagne to, to to Dan Campbell and send one to the whole defense mm-hmm. if they're going to see how his offense because the defense really won that game today. This one is from Eric at Tweets Are Dumb. I am excited and happy the Seahawks are in the postseason, but to my eyes, Gino played his worst game of the season. Mike, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Considering the circumstances, um, you just that again the ball in harm's way. Like it ain't even. I think I've mentioned this stat before. You know, Pro Football Focus tracks turnover worthy plays. So like, even if let's say you fumble, let's say you're quarterback and you fumble, and one of your linemen falls on it, 
that's still a turnover worthy play. The ball just happened to bounce to your left tackle. That don't necessarily mean you did anything less or more, you know what I'm saying? So you still had a turnover worthy moment. Same that would be, for example, the one today. I don't know who that DB was. I think he's a rookie. Hit dude smooth in the hands. Yeah. Yeah. So Quentin, I think his name is Quentin. Quentin Lakes hits him in the hands. How you say it, Chris? He got hands like a snake. Hands, hands like, like feet. Hands like feet. That's what it is. Hands like feet. That don't got like the fact that that wasn't an interception has nothing to do with Gino. You know what I'm saying? That's still a turnover worthy play. And he's had quite a bit of those. And man, it could have been costly today, man. It could have been really, really costly. Um, that could have been a pick six. That one to the, that that rookie man. Um, so yeah, that that he made some he made some plays though. Credit to him. Uh, but yeah, I think that was probably his his worst. I, I don't have all of them off the top of my head. Uh, and it's not it was just the numbers. Like the offense didn't score at all against the Niners in week two. And I still think he was better. I think he hit like eighty percent of his passes that game. Um, it's like yeah, that wasn't great. I think the Panthers game where he came out and threw a pick on the first play again. Like he's got to stop doing that, and he knows that. Um, but yeah, I think this was probably the worst, particularly considering the the circumstances. However, I will say this: I might have said this before. If this is his worst, he's okay. Because we've seen around the league, some other quarterbacks' worst can be bad. Mm. Like, think of the worst Jimmy G you've seen. Think of the worst Jared Goff you've seen. Even this year, think of the worst Tua Tungavaloa you've seen. Think of the worst Tom Brady you've seen. Think of the worst Aaron Rodgers you've seen. It's all worse than the worst of Geno this year. Legitimately. The, all those people who've had their worst games this year, way worse than what, than what Geno had today. So... Uh, just keep that in mind, like when, especially if you have to go forward and evaluate whether Geno is the future quarterback of the Seahawks. This next one is from Sammy C five two one. Make the case for re-signing Geno versus the alternative rookie quarterback Andrew Lo- or Andrew. It is Andrew Locke. I'm, I haven't even said this man's name in so long, I forgot his name. Drew Locke, excuse oh, me. Drew Locke. Oh. Yeah, it's not. Is it Andrew or just straight up Drew? Oh fuck, I don't. I don't think Drew Locke's name is Andrew. It's probably just Drew, huh? Oh, it is. It's Andrew. <laughs> well, look at that. Who Didn't knew? Even, who knew? So, yeah, back to the question. Making the case for re-signing Geno versus the alternative, rookie quarterback, Drew Locke, different, better in quarterback, etc. And then why do people assume that Geno is a fraud? He will get exposed with more tape or that backups can't be meaningful starters. Ooh, that was a lot of questions there. Um, wow, man, I did not know Drew's name was Andrew. This feels very similar to when I learned that Gino's name wasn't Gino and that it's actually Eugene. Eugene. Yeah, (laughs) no. Did you know Dak's name isn't Dak? Yes, it's it's something wild. It's Dakota. No, that's not wild. Never mind. So, yeah. It's it's, it's Dakota. Um, Anyways, we shouldn't stay on this. But uh, (laughs) now I'm wondering if Jimmy G's name is actually Jimmy or if it's James. Um, Can you look that one up for me? It's Jimmy Garoppolo. You sure? Yeah. You can double check it. Google it. I don't know how to spell Garoppolo. Sound it out, man. You got this. Sound it out. If you, his name is James. See? Really? Yeah, man. James Richard Garoppolo. No, man. It's on his Wikipedia. James Richard Garoppolo. Oh, Nickname Jimmy was, G. That's crazy. I thought it was Jimmy Garoppolo. It sounds better. James Garoppolo just sounds terrible, but sorry. Yeah. Now, okay. Now we got to do one more. Hold on. Is Mac, Mac Jones' name can't be Mac. No, it's not Mac. Well, what's Mac short for? His name is Michael. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, we're getting. 
<laughs> I get super sidetracked. I just Mac Dugar. <laughs> wow, his name is Michael. Oh, McCorkle the guy. McCorkle. Michael is, McCorkle Jones. Yeah, that is. I see why he went Mac. He McCorkle. Go Mac. I, would, I would go by Mac. Too. Actually, he can speak Mike Jones. You can just go by Mike Jones. You yeah. can't, man. There's a legend in Houston that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can't do uh, that. Continue though. I forgot what the question was. So I'm sorry. Oh, it's basically making the case for bringing oh, back Geno. Yeah, I, I remember now. All right, the case for Genome is that largely his process has been very good as a quarterback and by process i mean like making the right reads based on the coverage checking into the right runs audibling into the right um like adjustments like he did in the giants game for the game to go ahead touchdown to tyler which we have a film breakdown on from our week eight standout plays uh week seven he adjusted marquis goodwin's route on that the first touchdown to, to marquise like stuff like that like he, the process has been good the numbers don't always get there and because they don't show you guys all of the angles um from every play you guys can't always see like sometimes a check down is a win sometimes the check down he didn't scan he checked the post he checked the over route he checked the the hook and then went to the the the, the check down and all you see is it's a three-yard gain of dj dallas and meanwhile shane Lodge is over here like that's perfect you know that's quarterbacking and there's a lot of that stuff or okay boom he 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 had the right hitch um this is a three this is a this is a three-step drop he hit it one hitch go this one two hitches hit tile lock it on the post you know all of that stuff you know the right footwork the right reads beating the blitzes there's been so much of that stuff getting rid of the ball of you know he's been bad with some intentional groundings trying to avoid sacks but in general the process has been very good he's been on target i think he still had, he finished the, with the lowest off target percentage um so he's been not only did he lead the league in completion percentage i'm pretty sure but he had the most you know like he what he was he wasn't fucking up you know at a better rate than most quarterbacks every quarterback literally actually um so the case is actually not that hard to make the the where you get tricky is how much to pay for that type of production that's probably for another pod maybe after the season ends but the case is not hard to make the other part is when you mention alternatives it would here's the thing about the Seahawks. I'll try to make this quick. Pete Carroll is always trying to field the best roster possible. That whole rebuild shit, inch closer to, to growth, linear progression year by year. You're not with that shit, man. Dude's over 70 years old. Every year is about winning a Super Bowl. So you have to keep that in mind when you talk about drafting a rookie quarterback very high. Because Pete's mind is like, all right, that's cool. He could build into something. But Pete's going to want that dude to have the potential to be better than whoever his incumbent is immediately. Mm-hmm. So if you take a C.J. Stroud, if you're the coach, you're not just going to play C.J. Stroud because you took him with the fifth pick or whatever. You're going to want to play him because he gives you the best chance to win now. Right? And so that's that's different than let's like, oh, yeah, let's let C.J. grow or whatever the hell. Well, all that growing shit doesn't help protect your job if you're the coach. You know what I'm saying? Or any of your assistants some of whom tend to be on one-year deals. Um, so there's that part of it. And then if you're the front office, sometimes you have a different motivation. But for John Schneider in particular, he's like, no, nah, man, I grew up a Packers fan. And every year when I was a Packers fan, I wanted the Packers to go into the season with the best possible roster so we could win the goddamn Super Bowl every year. Because he grew up that way, he is aligned with Pete in that I want to field the best team so we can win this shit. Particularly now that they're in year 12, 13 together or whatever. Maybe if you maybe in year one or two they were like let's build the thing. Now they just want to win every year because they've already tasted. So just 
keep that in mind with the alternatives. When if a CJ Stroud might be better for the Seahawks in 2025, maybe it very well might be. I, me and Chris can probably agree on that. Or Bryce Young or Will Levis. 2025 doesn't do shit for the coaching security of the guys in the building in 2023 and 2024. So that's important to remember as well. That said, it's almost like a, I got to pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> Chris, it would not surprise me. Now, I haven't listened to Pete Carroll's press comments, but apparently he kind of alluded to this um, Sunday after the game. It would not surprise me if those dudes, if they can't get to a number they like with Geno's agent, that they're like, you know what, dude? We've had the best seat. We, we produced the best version of Russell Wilson that anyone ever seen. We didn't help create the best version of you, of Geno, that anybody's ever seen. What do you think we'll do if we roll with Drew Locke in 2023? They're probably confident they can get the best version of Drew, whatever that looks like. I don't know, but I, I can see, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I can see how they would take those steps. Like, look, Russ has looked his worst away from Seattle. Geno's looked his worst away from Seattle. Drew has looked his worst away from Seattle. If he, they would probably feel like, you know, like that Jay Z line. Oh, you, you, you say you made hove. Okay, make another hove. Mm. John Schneider's like, yeah, we can make another hove. <laughs> you know, Pete Carroll like, I can make another one. I don't know if they're that arrogant, but I think we can agree. We can see how they would get to that thought process. So while I think the case for Gino is very strong, um, there are a lot of other factors to consider besides even just the money part. It's the mindset of the people calling the shots. Um, yeah, that was a lot. I just feel like we should go to the next question now before I ramble for another hour. You're good. This <laughs> next one comes from at Punistan. What percentage chance do you put on Gino returning? And if so, how long? I don't think it would be very long. I think it would have to, it would probably be three years max. For one, they just don't give out deals longer than three years very often. Um, I think Gino, I think Jamal got a four year. Russ got a four year, one of those. Uh, for the most part, they don't do super long term deals anyway. Since the Percy Harvin deal, they ain't done, they've, they've been kind of staying away. I think Tyler got a really long deal, um, but you can see why. So there's that. I'll probably put it about 50 50 just because they do have just avenues to move on, they have Drew. They believe in Drew. Like, every time we ask Pete about Gino's future, he always brings up Drew unprompted. They believe in Drew. John Snyder believes in Drew. Pete Carroll believes in Drew. So there's that part of it. Um, they have a top five pick. If there's ever a year to need a quarterback, they have it to get, you know, and they have another first round pick in the back end of the draft. So uh, I would say I put it at 50-50 because they're not, like, screwed. It's not like the – I can't think of a team right now who's kind of roped into their quarterback situation, but, like, I think – those guys, like the Jets, are kind of screwed. I think um, they probably have to like pay for someone or trade. The Seahawks can just like, all right, man, Gino, if you bounce, we tag you. If someone trades for you, we have ammunition. They'll have money at that point, and they would have the draft capital to replace them. And they have Drew. That's like all of the avenues you want: money, draft capital, and an in-house option. So I, that's why I think it's at fifty-fifty. Um, even though Gino does have a lot of leverage in the negotiations. This next one comes from Eli. The Steelers have struggled in slowing down tight ends this season. How are the Steelers going to slow down George Kittle? Because he cooked in the last time. Uh, don't bust any coverages. That helps. I think one for one of those like a 50-yarder. Um, don't miss any tackles. That's another one. Uh, the other one was just a great play, though, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, but the, don't those two things right there. 
Like, I bet you if I asked about George Kittle during the week, i get a version of them two answers right there. Be di- they'll probably say something like be disciplined or something. But in effect, that means don't blow any coverages. Um, and get guys on the ground is probably what they'll say. Yeah, it means don't miss any fucking tackles. You do those two, you do those two things in the first meeting, and his stat line doesn't look as crazy. That's for most players, uh, honestly, um, including Debo Samuel if he plays. So I think that that's that's the main thing. Like we can get into some scheme and some other shit. For me, that's the main thing. Tackle the man and don't blow any coverages. You do those two things, you can pretty much hold down most people, um, unless they're just inhuman, like Justin Jefferson. But even then, the Packers just shut him down. You know? J.R. Alexander. <laughs> Alexander, by the way, who might be the him, he and Jamal Williams might be the two funniest guys in the NFL. They're like they are every time they get put in front of a camera, I find myself laughing. So those are yeah. And anyway, that those are the two things for me is just tackle the dude when he gets the ball in his hands and just don't bust any coverages, which they've done several times against the Niners. This next one comes from at a fraud interesting i like that one a fraud has Clay <laughs> done lost his complete mind once and for all should the seahawks trade him for some draft cap or keep him and draft a new number one he sped up yeah no ooh, a fraud is, is hot um i wouldn't go that far let me bring it down to earth a, a, a fraud it's cool i understand the frustration because there was some moments today where it just looked like dk was very ready to just try and whoop Jalen Ramsey's ass. I'm not talking about it in a football sense. I'm talking about meet me in, in the tunnel, and we're about to throw hands. That's what that looked like. He, him pushing Jalen after the um, after the, the unsportsmanlike or whatever late hit, whatever they called on the Geno run and uh, regulation, totally unnecessary. Usually, uh, we talked about it on the podcast. I'm cool with guys wanting the smoke, but you have to be very careful to make sure it's inconsequential smoke. Like if 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 we're already gonna punt on fourth and whatever, and you go and headbutt somebody, give a shit. Fifteen yards don't matter. We're about to punt. If we're about to try to kick a game-winning field goal in regulation, uh, you know, you need to cool it a little bit. Um, same thing in overtime. I mean, you saw him getting into it with guys before Jason's kick uh, in overtime as well, uh, or maybe it was in regulation. Anyway, there was two instances where it was just a lot to the point where Avrod's asking that question. No, you don't get rid of the guy, but. The, the key is to, with a lot of players, there's a fine line, whatever it is. With Russell, it was how can we maximize his backyard football without him taking a bunch of 18-yard sacks on second down? You know, that was, the, that was the thing. With Ken Walker, it's very similar. How can we maximize his freelancing plays that turned into home runs versus also teaching dude how to hit some singles and doubles every once in a while? You know, uh, with DK, it's how can we keep his edge where he kicks guys' asses but doesn't get kicked out of the game. That's just the, or 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 hurt the team. That's probably the best way to put that. Uh, that's the fine line. It's every and with, with certain players, the things are different. None of those things are necessarily bad, quote unquote. It just happens when you have special players who are unique. That's probably the word Pete Carroll would would say it. So, uh, no, you don't get rid of that guy like that. But you do discussing that line openly that fine line openly is very important you can see that it's already being done with ken there was a few runs today with ken where he just hit the hole and got two yards instead of losing four that's good that's progress in his regard same thing with dk this year he got thrown out of a game in 20 in the week 10 last year this year you can see he's like i'm trying not to at least get booted because that that hurt my team 
He came close today. <laughs> came, came close today. He can't, can't, can't do that. I think that's the conversation that needs to be had, particularly against the 49ers, um, with whom he has quarreled quite a bit. That needs to be the conversation this week. Keep that edge. Don't hurt the team. Real simple. And he knows that. This next one is from Young Slick X. How was DK after the game? Uh, this be real quick. I did not see him. Nor did I talk to him. I would imagine he probably would have not uh, wanted to talk. I, I'm, I'm just guessing. I just didn't see him. They, it took a long time for them to let us in the locker room today. I don't know if that's because they had a longer speech, maybe because they were coordinating where they would go watch the game. I, I don't know. But by the time I got in there, half the guys were gone. So uh, I did not I did not see him. Did not get a chance to talk to him. I don't know if anyone else did. If you guys see some quotes, tag me in them. But I did not get a chance to talk to him. This next one is from Ryan Turner at Turns44. Ryan, what up? Over the last two weeks, DK has four catches for 43 yards versus Sauce and Jalen. He's paid like the number one, but we're seeing he can be removed from games. What does he need to do and can he do to be moved up the ladder of wide receivers? Um, I think winning some more of those, winning some more of those 50-50s, um, and it's, some of that's not all on him. Like, he got overthrown against DJ Reed, um, you know, against the Jets. Gino threw the, the back shoulder fade too high against Sauce. You know, one of them got broken up against Sauce. And the red, like, none of these were like, oh, DJ, DK needs to be better type of thing. Um, like, the process, like we were talking about with Gino, the process was fine. Um, but some of the other stuff, like, it's, it's, it's just winning and attacking the ball, too. Um, we talked about it. Uh, DK body catches sometimes uh, where you can just go up because he can go up and get it. I walk by a picture every day. They have it in the Seahawks uh, facility. It's a it's a superimposed image of him catching the ball all hands with Patrick Sertan the second draped all over him in week one. And it's just like, that's it. That he had one against the Chiefs too. Like that. Just go up, snag that motherfucker. I think he had one against JC Horn too uh, of the Panthers. That's just where it got to be. But I also think they got to do a better job, and if this is more like the coaching staff and stuff, is getting him more layups. And that's the thing you've seen with, like, they do with Justin Jefferson, uh, with the Vikings. Hell, Tyler Lockett. Yeah, t- Tyler. Tyler's great on third down. Um, but it, it, I think I'm talking – I'm thinking of guys who are, like, where they're clearly the guy and all the attention goes in the way it goes to DK, like Devontae Adams with the last few years in Green Bay. They kept getting him layups whether it was in the red zone, whether it was like screens, get him on the run, like in motion, I mean, on the run, just like ways to get him layups where you get the ball in his hands. Um, I think that was, there's a clip from the Detroit game last year. I probably got to find it. I tweeted it. It's all of his like just dink and dunk catches that turned into something, you know? Um, Cause when DK gets to running, nobody want to tackle that shit. No, nobody wants to do that. Especially when it's cold, you in week 19, you sore already? Your shoulder already falling off? You're about to just lower that shit in the DK. I think they got to take advantage of that more often. Um, and I think that's not a DK thing. That's a coaching thing. That would probably be the thing I'll point to. And some of that's probably on Gino. Trust him a little bit more. He trusts DK a lot already. But, you know, like there will be the, the weakest part about the Niners defense. If there is a weak part, I say quotes with the weak part. The defense is not weak. If there is a weak spot, it is the cornerback position. You have DK Metcalf take advantage of that cornerback position trust him with your various ward trust him against number 38 their other cornerback like trust i mean gino trusted Derek young against your ward on a like a 40 yard back shoulder bomb throw it up to him too so 
Um, I, I just think it's a combination of things. It ain't just that like DK is not being a number one. There's a lot of things that go into guys who produce like number ones. This next one comes from McFly at a good old age. What's more important for hashtag never kick a good defense or a good offense? Uh, a good offense. Cause if you're not going to kick, you got to convert, you know? Um, Cause your defense has to get a stop either way. So it doesn't really matter. Let's say you kick a field goal. Uh, you need your defense to get a stop uh, the next possession, right? Or if you go for it on fourth down, you don't get it. You need your defense to get a stop to get to the ball back. So like either way, you, you're expecting a stop. So like the Packers game, for example, I loved Dan Campbell going for that shit to ice the game. Cause you know what Aaron Rodgers was going to do if they tied that motherfucker with a field goal? He would have went down there and won the game. <laughs> That's what he would have done. And the never kick ad- attitude, I would say I understand that sometimes you kick, but the never kick attitude is more about the difference between playing not to win and playing, excuse me, playing not to lose and playing to win. Dan Campbell in that situation played to win. Because like if you kick a field goal and you go up seven, you're like, at the very least, we're not going to lose. That's the thought. We're up seven. If you go for the fourth down and get the get it, the game is over. See what I'm saying? It's the difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. So that that's the mindset. And I think that if you do it, if you and you see it with some of the uh, the trick plays that the, the Detroit Lions run, because they're so that's part of their DNA. Now third downs are a totally different bag. Like I think the one today, or they they had one today where it was like third and something long, like a passing down, but they ran it like third and eight or nine, but they picked up like seven or eight yards. Okay, well now you ran it against the other team's third down defense and you had an advantage and you picked up enough yards to go for it. You see what I mean? It just changes the math. Instead of third and 12 being an obvious, we need 12 yards. If you think of third and 12 as, well, okay, if we get eight or nine, it's feasible. You know what I mean? So I think that's, the, the, having a good offense is better, man. And what, how fucking fitting is it that Jared Goff is who leads, who 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 sends the Seahawks to the postseason, man? That is that's incredible. This next one comes from at Kyle Sirakawa. A few non-playoff questions: How big a loss was Bo Melton being claimed by the Packers? Any hope we'll see the Seahawks will see Tyreek Smith next season? Any chance Rashad Penny comes back to Seattle next year? The Bo Bowen not big, not as big a deal. Largely because they already have Cade and I'm a Coog, so I'm biased, but I think they should play Aesop Winston, uh, particularly just to return punts, even though DJ had a good one today. Um, Tyreek Smith, yes, I believe he'll be in the mix in 2023. Probably take a little bit to get his sea legs under him. Like, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy who doesn't pop until like week 10. But when he pops, he might pop. You know, Rasheem Green was like that his rookie year, um, too, in 2018. Like, he didn't, he didn't pop till late. He popped in the preseason, went quiet, and then just like popped in like week nine. Uh, I could see Tyreek Tyreek Smith being very similar, uh, particularly as a pass rusher. Uh, Rashad Penny, uh, next season, I don't know. But I will say this. I don't think another team will want Rashad as bad as the Seahawks do. And that probably is an important thing. doesn't mean other teams won't want him. Boy, can run. He can run. Some teams will be much better if he's their starting running back next year. That's a fact. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said for, like, if, the, if your team wants you the most um, in the money, but like, it ain't somebody might, but ain't about to drop 20 million on them. You know, like, yeah. if you look at some of the guys they lost, the other teams made some really strong pushes. Like, 
the Jets outbid the Seahawks, I think, significantly for DJ Reed. Same thing with the Jaguars and uh, Shaquille Griffin a couple of off seasons ago. So when they've lost guys, there were there were teams that wanted them more. And I don't think that'll be the case. I think the Seahawks, even with Ken having the year he's having, will probably be the team that wants him the most. I think that's that's an important place to start with because with every with every free agent, it may not be the case. Hell, that may not be the case with Geno. There may be some teams who are desperate for Geno, perhaps more than the Seahawks feel they are desperate for him because of what we talked about earlier with the draft capital and the in-house options. This next one comes from at based underscore field 95. Do you think Daryl Taylor has shown enough this season to justify a contract extension this offseason? Uh, yeah, it, it just depends on what he would want. If he wants top of the top of the market money, then he, if I'm Daryl, from his, his agent, I say, hey, DT, you balled out. Great. Let the team in sacks. Count the playoffs. Probably going to get to double digits, um, which is great. You're up for an extension in August if you would like one. Uh I think we should wait, play out the 2023 season, see if we can get to double digits, and then let's go from there, hit the hit free agency, and get a bag. Uh, for real, that's what I would say, because right now you're just going off two years of production. It's hard to get a big deal off two years of production, uh, it, it, for him in particular, just because of how the first season he didn't play, and then, yeah, so, and how this season started. Seahawks, yeah, if they want to just sign him in August, then you, get, you probably get a bargain. Right, because again, you're 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 going off of just two years of production. Um, if I was him, I would advise him and say, "Hey, bet on yourself. We'll take out an insurance policy just in case you get hurt. Play the 2023 season. See if you can get to 10 sacks. Get some more forced fumbles, and then let's go. Let's hit free agency in uh, 2024 in March and get you the bag, like 25 million a year. If that sounds crazy to you guys, go look up what edge rushers are making right now." Yeah, they gets the bag. Whatever Brian Burns gets, that's what Daryl Taylor should hold out for in 2024. I'm serious. Because Daryl will probably be like 27 or something like that when, if he hits free agency. That would be the move for him personally. This next one comes from Cody Marmon. Do you think Kenneth Walker III won the Offensive Rookie of the Year with his performance down the stretch of the season? And how successful has this season been, whether or not Seattle gets a dub against the Niners? Yeah, I think Ken will win. He's like an odds-on favorite. I, I say that just off the betting numbers. I don't know if I've, I don't I haven't talked to guys who have votes, but when you're the odds-on favorite, you're probably going to win. Same reason why I think Sauce uh, is going to, to win the defensive one. I think Ken's over a thousand yards. I don't know how many touchdowns he has, but like in terms of from scrimmage numbers, Ken deserving. I think Garrett Wilson has a really good uh, argument as well. Let's see if I can pull some of these numbers while I'm talking. Uh, Garrett, who else, Chris, is in that? Alave. Uh, yeah, Alave is putting up some good numbers, too. Hell, I saw Brock Purdy in the odds. Uh, he's playing well. The, uh, what's the kid from um, Atlanta? The one that I liked right. out of the draft, too, Alvier. Oh, okay. The running back, yep. And a run- oh, yeah, they're not, not Drake London. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at Alger. Alger has 1,174 scrimmage yards. Uh, not nearly as many touchdowns. Oh, he only has four scrimmage touchdowns. So Ken has more scrimmage yards and more scrimmage touchdowns. So maybe he's not the choice there. Yeah, I'm looking at the guys now. Damn, Ken has nine touchdowns. He's a beast. The only person with as many touchdowns as him from scrimmage is Christian Watson. And Christian Watson only has fewer than 700 yards for the year. So yeah, actually, I rethink that. Ken Walker, offensive rookie of the year, man. 
Shout out to Ken. Congratu- early congratulations because he should win that award. Tariq should win Defensive Rookie of the Year, too. Well, speaking of Tariq, this one comes from Brian Lindy. Do the Hawks make the postseason without Tariq? And does this factor into the Defensive Rookie of the Year conversation? Uh, They definitely don't make the playoffs without Tariq. Tariq's a baller. Um, I just think, man, Tariq... Here's my. Well, I'm not gonna go on a whole soliloquy about Tariq. I will say this, man, and I feel confident about this. And I think everyone would agree. If Sauce had six interceptions and that led the league, no one and you just that you just flipped that. No one will be arguing for Tariq to win Rookie of the Year. Hmm. No one. If Tariq only had two, and Sauce had six. Leading the league as a rookie, and one of those was a pick six. No one. Have you tweeted that yet? Uh, not in those words, versions of it. Maybe I just should do that. But <laughs> yes, their numbers yeah. are so comparable for the raw to the advanced, and then you see that one guy has triple the interceptions as the other guy and leads the league in that category. If Sauce led the league in picks, Jets fans would be telling me to very disrespectful things in my mentions instead they're just like oh yeah, look at all these numbers come on man so yeah Tariq should win Tariq and Tariq should win and I think Ken will win this one next one comes from Zach is this the strangest Seahawks season you've ever covered that's a good question no um it was fun it was a very fun season um I think not over yet Mike what you mean well the regular season I'm sorry Regular season, very, yeah. Regular season, very fun, just because of the storylines, um, the newness of it. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what Gino would do. I didn't know what Abe Lucas and Charles Cross would do. I didn't know what Ken Walker would do, or Tariq Woolen, or Kobe Bryant, or what Jordan Brooks would do. You know, this year, you know, or I would like to have covered Jamal Adams, but you guys get it. Um, the, nah, the weirdest one was 2020 and 2021 were very weird because of everything that i knew about the russell situation but couldn't say that was very tricky every week to just know a lot of shit about how it was building towards him getting traded and i tried to report some stuff with mike sando and jason jenks and we did those stories on those guys but like every week i had like an update about how things were going behind the scenes not just with him but the front office with the players in the locker room but it wasn't all stuff i was like greenlit to speak on so it was very, maybe if it was a very rough podcast in 2020, I would come on here and tell Chris all this stuff I knew and be like, all right, Chris, we can't use any of that. <laughs> Ready to record. That was very weird. And because it was with such a prominent player who was then often contradicting everything that I was being told when he would speak publicly, I was like, fuck, this is making this really weird. Like I'm saying this stuff on the pod and then Russ is getting up there saying he wants to be here forever. It's it was very, it was very, it was a very weird situation. So that that in particular made that so odd because then we also were out of the locker rooms for twenty and twenty twenty one. So that made it even weirder. Uh, so that for me, because of what I knew and couldn't say, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty were some of the weirdest seasons ever. Man, I hope we don't deal with that again. If G- if Gino got some shit to get off, I hope he just tells the truth. Because yeah, Russ Russ made those last two years very funky in that. The last one comes from Tony K at Karate K84. What's been your guys' favorite moment or play from the Seahawks this season? What's been the worst moment or play from the Seahawks this season as well? 
You want to both do worst first? We can end on a positive. I like the way you think. Yes. Uh, worst moment, I would say, was seeing Rashad Penny go down mm-hmm. just because yeah. the dude gives it his all. Not that other players don't, obviously, but right, right. this is someone that has had injury injury issues his entire time with the Seahawks. Yeah. And he just could not catch a break. And this season, it seemed promising. You know, he got banged up, obviously, and he played through a lot of stuff. But then to have that injury that took him out for the season, it, it's dang, it happened to him again. And that was just a really tough moment for, I know, a lot of Seahawks fans and obviously for Rashad Penny, who was excited. He was feeling very confident about the season and he had high expectations for what he wanted to do with the Seahawks offense. And he got cut short. Yeah, no, I seen Rashad crying in New Orleans, man. When he, uh, I forget what he, he broke his fibula, I think. It was just so, it was uh, that. You're right, that's a good one, man. That just that just hurt a lot for all those reasons. I'm glad you picked that. I'll probably just go with the, the Raider, the, the Raider game. That was the game. <laughs> well, the, the way it ended too, like. No, you're right. Yeah, was, yeah. That was just deflating. It was really a deflating moment. Um, they bounced back and won the next week, but it was just just deflating. I at that point I was like, these guys might be cooked. I was like, these guys might not win another game. If they, Can we, the Raiders were like four and seven at the time or something. Like I was, oh man, I I just thought that was that was rock that was rock bottom. I had I had thought the Panthers loss I guess was probably worse, but at the time that that Raiders loss, man, just the way that it went, just getting run all over, like that was that was demoralizing, man. So that was, yeah. That, that was pretty rough. Favorite moment or play? I'll go with the play. I already gave you a moment, so I'll go with the play. There's a lot of plays. It's I could probably spend another 20 minutes breaking down all the plays that have been my favorite. But I would say it's going to be a tire locker play, and I got to pick a touchdown now. So I'll go with the touchdown today that tied the game at 13. They needed a touchdown, and Tyler Lockett runs a really good post he starts he gets the cornerback wide gets him out deep and then he just comes across the middle and Gino being the laser that throwing the lazing laser throwing quarterback that he is puts it right on the money and Tyler does the rest and when it's 99% of the time when Tyler is about to make a play or make an attempt for a catch he's catching it. it I would consider him money like he's Mr. Possession and I think Gino knew he was going there the whole entire time Tyler ran the perfect route, perfect throw, touchdown. To be honest, I could pick every single one of Tyler's touchdowns because they were all pretty impactful and big-time situations. So I'll go with that because, again, that tied the game at 13, and the Seahawks definitely needed a touchdown because they had just gotten a three-and-out, down 13-7, 13-6, excuse me, coming into the third quarter, and they got to put some points on the board. And who do you go to? Ty Lockett. Yeah, I have I have a tie. Um I think the the first one that really comes to mind um, is the is is Geno's comeback drive uh, against the Rams. I just thought that was really good for him, man, because this Geno this Geno thing it's just been probably the, the best story in the NFL season. I mean, Demar Hamlin living is a way more important grand scheme, but just like for the entire season, like Geno, I think has been the the bigger one, not the bigger one, but just the the best one. If you exclude Demar from the sample, uh, it's just just a, a story of perseverance and self belief, man. That can just apply in so many other uh, points in life. And I just think people can just take so much from that, whether you're in school or I don't know, you're just grinding towards something. 
Chino basically waited his turn for seven years and came off the bench ready. So whatever your version of your grind is, I feel like you can, everybody can draw something, whether it's relationship, parenting, something. You just waiting to get healthy in your life or you waiting for a family member to get healthy or whatever. There's just so many ways, there's so many things to draw from Gino and that the, the comeback drive just kind of put all that, like, it felt like, man, there's nothing this dude can't do. You know, that, that was really cool. Uh, and kind of almost in the opposite of Rashad, not in the opposite, but in a similar vein in a way is today seeing Quandre make the play that he did um you know it was almost like a year a year ago this week broke his leg um you know to see him come back and and uh make that play at a time where it just felt like people almost got spoiled with how good he's been playing man to make that to come through to kind of cap off all the other intangible stuff that I'm talking about with the on-field uh, performance in that in that moment like a year after uh just you know crying on that field in arizona you know uh which i was there for that's the that's that's tough man as, as the more thing put in perspective these guys are not just robots they break bones they tear ligaments and that shit hurts mostly and physically so that was cool like for both of those guys gino quandre a bunch of guys have similar story arcs but those two particularly you can just resonate with again it's perseverance believing in yourself overcoming some shit all things that be it can be applicable beyond football so yeah those those two i got a tie i got one more actually and it'll actually be pete carroll and the seattle seahawks knocking off the broncos week one because oh, that, that, started, oh. that that started off everything man if if they don't get that win <laughs> i don't know how this season goes i really don't i think that win really catapulted them although the next week they get their doors kicked in but mm-hmm. they definitely got off the start they wanted with that win they believed in that roster. They went out there and proved it. Sure, it wasn't the greatest game, but they definitely wanted to beat the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson, and they were able to do so. And I think that kick-started what we're seeing at the end of the season now where they're 9-8 and eight, going into the postseason with a chance to do what they want to do, which is compete for a Super Bowl. That is a good one. That is a good one. That's the start of the I ain't right back. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. Great of the of the of the year by far best best quote i ain't right back (laughs) no kizzy well look this has been another episode of seahawks man to man we appreciate all the twitter questions all the love and support whether it is you listen to us on apple spotify iheart i think i'm missing one but that's okay yeah the one that pays us, yes, the athletics. So we appreciate all the love. Also on YouTube as well, if you're tapping in and watching us live, thank you so much. We will have a busy week because Mike's catching flights and we got to figure stuff out. But you know what? We're going to give you content. That's what we're here for. So with that being said, Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Yeah, just on some programming notes, just turn on your notifications for us. Because <laughs> we're, we're working on the schedule now. I got to call Matt Barrows, who's down in San Francisco. So we got to get scheduled. They're playing on a Saturday, so I'm flying on a Friday. So makes dropping our film review tough. So nothing is set in stone. Just turn your notifications on. I mean, when we drop the shit, you'll know. Guaranteed. <laughs> you don't got to ask. So just that's all. Thank you for the love and support. Turn your notifications on. We'll catch you guys later in the week. Time to your bag and the color on your-
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.